Cursed to crawl on their bellies, snakes have taken to the limbless lifestyle with seeming languid movement. But these apparently listless articulations of their sinuous bodies are done with great intention. Without claws, legs, or arms, they can climb trees, slide across the ground, and some can even glide in the air. But one viper is posed with a particular challenge in the form of soft, shifting sand. But laudable locomotion is just one way an interesting serpent can make its way through life, death, and taxonomy. Welcome back to Life, Death, and Taxonomy. It's your 30 minutes of interesting animal info. I'm Joe. And I'm Carlos. And today we're talking about an animal that has adapted to a legless lifestyle in an arid region. But more on that later. Also, thank you to Cassie for the creation of our theme song. To hear more of Cassie's music, search Cassie Michelle on YouTube. Did you? Did I hear you say legless lifestyle? Because archery is really hard. I did not say Legolas, but that's a that's something that I was thinking about a lot when I was typing that <laughs> word Legolas. several times. But yeah, we're we're not talking about Legolas. We're not talking about um, uh, shallow, immortal, out- overpowered elves in fantasy movies. We are talking about the horned viper, and not just any horned viper, because it turns out there's more than one. That's true. Even though the horned viper has horns, and other ones have like. You know, spiky ridges, maybe. Yeah, this one is about as horned viper as a horned viper can get. Yeah. Uh, it's also known as the Saharan horned viper, if you want to distinguish it, or the desert horned viper. Um, Brian, when he sent us the art, called it the Vide viper. Because <laughs> it's vying for your attention, because it's so interesting. And this is interesting animal info. Um, but we're going to look at here the uh, the spiny serpent, Cleopatra's curse, and Caesarastes Serastes, <laughs> which uh, we'll find. Which I'll just I'll explain that right now with the taxonomy. How about that? Okay. Uh, it's in a kingdom you know, you love, and are in. That kingdom is Animalia. Could could it be anything else? I guess it could, but it it's not. Not this time. Uh, the phylum is Chordata. It's got a long spine. It's mostly spine, actually. Uh, the class is Rep... Oh, wait. Did we decide... Wait, is it Reptilla or Reptilia? Because I did this by memory. It's Reptilla. Reptilla. There's no th- There's no such thing as Reptilia. Not even... It is by the strokes, yes. And it is, yes, Reptilia. It's Reptilia. There is no such thing as Reptilla. Dang it. We'll never know that. <laughs> That'll we, never seep in. We will not. We do know. We just will never remember. Uh, the order is Squamata. Like, that's basically lizards and snakes. And the suborder is Serpentes, which I think you can guess is not lizards. It weeds out the lizard part. It's uh, snakes. Uh, I'm surprised Serpentes is not the name of uh, some Hogwarts professor. Uh, the family is Viperidae, a.k.a. Vipers. 
The genus is Cerastes, and the species is Cerastes. So, okay, Cerastes, Cerastes. Whatever my favorite will bite, spicy sauce. Whatever, whatever will bite will bite. It's it's very close to sriracha, except it's a neurotoxin, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah go great with fish. But since we're in the business of naming things, it's time for my favorite part of the show: critter groups. The part of the show where I ask you, Joe, a question that that question is the same every time. What is the name? of a group of this animal or what is the term of venery or what is just the collective noun all the same um so i think we've done snakes before but i couldn't remember what it was off the top of my head so i'm assuming that you don't remember what it is off the top of your head um so let's go with it if you saw a group of snakes would you say it's a a slither of snakes b a pit of snakes C, a knot of snakes, or D, a hiss of snakes? A pit of snakes is an actual, like, a vessel of snakes, as in Indiana Jones. Uh, also, pit vipers, but a knot, a knot is something else, a knot of frogs. It's an army of frogs. But it's also a knot, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna give you any more hints i was gonna be like no i'm gonna look at it oh, wait no that's cheating it is <laughs> cheating okay i'm not doing that not not a not not as something else i'm going with a pit final answer yeah ding 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 you're correct this is, this is a pit of snakes why did it have to be snakes yeah why did it have to be snakes he <laughs> handles it quite well though considering his phobia well, he he's just the kind of guy that rises to a challenge. Yeah, not even his uh, greatest fear can can bring Indiana Jones down. Yeah, it really doesn't seem like he has a phobia. He's not crippled by fear. He just has a healthy fear. Like it's a dangerous animal. Yeah, but he doesn't have a healthy fear of other animals. He does encounter quite a few, especially in I think the third one, and he doesn't really seem to be bothered by any of them but snakes. He just punches them with that like book falling on the ground sound effect. Yeah. <laughs> you know how punches sound? <laughs> Not like that damp slap. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine what the what like MMA cage fighting would be if that was the sound that that Indiana Jones <laughs> punching it's a thunderous sound. punch. <laughs> and just the words pow show up on screen every time. It would just be you it would be uh a spectacle. It would It'd be bad for people with epilepsy because there'd just be so much, so much pow on the screen. All right, so horned viper, where does it live? Uh, it lives in the deserts of northern Africa and the Middle East, all the way from Morocco and Somalia to Yemen and uh, Qatar, Qatar. Yeah, I looked it up. You can say it both ways. Um, I've heard it both ways. It seems like most pe- people have more of a problem with Qatar. So we'll go with Qatar, um, which makes more sense to me anyway. So yes, yeah, so this is a this is a desert snake. Let's call it the desert horn viper or the Saharan horn viper. So it likes the sandy places. So let's talk about what it looks like. It has a short, thick body, at least for a snake. Uh, where a lot of snakes are smooth and shiny, think like a python or something. 
the horned viper and most vipers have raised kind of matte finish scales uh, they kind of look spiny like they would hurt if you grab them and they will hurt if you grab them but not necessarily because of the scales the head is wide in and flat like a cookie that's not quite finished baking um, and on top of the head there are two scales that stick straight up over the eyes like horns it's the horned viper um, and it's very prominent it looks very angry um, and mis mischievous and diabolical uh, the scales on all over its body are mottled shades of tan, uh, which help it mimic the color of the sand, and there are darker blotches of tan running down the length of its body. But I said it has a short, thick body, um, but that could mean a lot of things, especially when you're talking about a snake, because snakes can be huge or tiny. Okay. So tell us how huge or tiny. Oh, okay. Uh, welcome to the beloved Measure Up segment, the official listener's favorite part of the show, the part of the show when we present the animal size and dimensions in relatable terms through a quiz that's fun for the whole family. It's also part of the show that's introduced by you when you send an audio of yourself saying, singing or chittering the words Measure Up into ldtaxonomy at gmail.com. We don't have a new Measure Up intro this week. No. But that means we get to hear from an animal and Carlos has to guess what it is. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> uh, okay. Without further ado, the listener's favorite part of the show. Oh my. <laughs> so, is that... <clears throat> a, a saltwater crocodile. B, a hamadryas baboon. C, an American bison. Or D, my rumbly tummy. Your rumbly tummy. That's right. It's dinner time. And you just want a small smackerel of honey. Honey. Um, Christopher. <laughs> She do the whole episode like that, or a whole intro. Certain like, times of like day, the Pooh. my vocal cords just won't do that. Yeah, it is. It is a, a difficult balance to strike. I bet you it's easier in the morning. It's like it needs. There needs to be a dry breeze just kind of <laughs> passing over <laughs> my vocal cords. Oh bother! No, see that's not even close. Christopher. No, I can't. Like it. Uh, see that? It's getting worse. Yeah. <laughs> It was there. It's just like there's cracks and crackling. Yeah, and poo poo is definitely not about crackling. No, he's smooth like honey. I'm gonna say saltwater crocodile. It's either that or the bison. Final answer: saltwater crocodile. Yes. You should have gone with your second instinct. It is the American bison. Ah. Uh, it is the it, the low rumble is also indicative of a crocodile sound. Yeah, you thought you were gonna get me with that baboon. Yeah, Just cause like, yeah, it's a dark horse. I you always throw in a dark horse. Sometimes it gets, sometimes it gets you. Sometimes it doesn't. It's coming at me like a dark horse. That's right. Let's talk length. When you're talking about a snake, you gotta talk length. They're about thirty to sixty centimeters, or twelve to twenty-four inches. How many horned vipers go into the longest ever noodle? Twenty-four 
24 inches is not. That's a short. That is a short snake. Two, two foot feet. snake. Two foot snake. Yeah, so we're going with the upper end of average so that we're talking 24 or 60 centimeters. So here's a hint. The record was achieved by the Jiang Nian Food Company in China in October of 2017. And there's a video on the Guinness record page for once. I wonder what the difference between a noodle and a piece of pasta is. What do you mean? I think, aren't they all technically noodles? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, like a ravioli mac- macaroni is a noodle. Is, but macaroni is definitely both noodle and pasta. Is it the, well, it must be the hollow core. I think everything tube. that's a noodle is a, except for like a pool noodle, is pasta, right? And like, you know, alternative noodles like spaghetti noodles or spaghetti uh, squash and punk rock alternative noodles. Zoodles. Those are actually pretty good. Zucchini noodles. So I'm going to, I'm going to just, I got to just guess into the blue here because it could be, I guess the possibilities are endless. Um, it could be a mile uh, or it could be like a hundred feet. So I'll say 200 feet. Strike a good balance between those two things I said. Okay. And... It's two feet, so we'll say 100. 100 snakes. 100 snakes, final answer. Yes. The correct answer is 5,059 snakes. Oh, boy. The noodle was 3,084 meters or 10,100 19 feet and 1.9 inches. That, yeah, well, that's two miles long. I guess it was even high. It was twice as long as my upper end, so. <laughs> that's quite a long noodle. You can see the video. I've linked it on the on the episode page for this. I do want to watch it. In this huge spiral. Yeah, it would have to be. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like this noodle is going to have to stretch from here to the next town. (laughs) But the piece they use to make it is just like this chonky, like anaconda-sized hunk of dough. That's the thing about these is that you... There there isn't a limit to how large, how long a noodle can be. It's not like the tallest tree or something like that where trees only get so tall it's you just all you have to do to beat that record is just spend more time making the noodle there i I don't know what the rules are like if there's a break in the noodle if it doesn't count anymore or if they have to put it like mend it somehow yeah it doesn't seem like it's difficult it's just you need the resources and time i I assume it's very difficult but you need like a, a good noodle maker you need the resources you need the time and and that's that's the at that point there's no limit you just got to have a good noodle maker we should all have a good noodle maker in my opinion we should all so let's move on to something we it's pretty int- pretty off beat for oh, this segment great. we're going to talk about venom lethality huh so 
How many venom lethalities go into the weight of mercury? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if mercury was le- if mercury's weight was lethality, uh, no. So we talked about uh, lethal doses before and how they're measured. They're measured in something called LD fifty or lethal dose fifty percent. So that's I definitely remember that fifty. That that's a measurement of fifty per. How many the the size of a lethal dose and, and how big it would have to be to kill uh, at least 50% of a tested population. Okay. So like, let's say you're testing it on 10 mice. The lethal dose would kill at least five mice. So okay. it's not a fluke. Like this mouse was particularly sensitive to it. So it's usually like uh, milligrams per kilogram. So, like, the milligram of the toxin versus the kilograms body weight. Of the of the victim? Of the, of the victim, yeah. So, the lethality of uh, the horned viper venom is 0.4 milligrams per kilogram intravenously. But we're going to talk about subcutaneously, which means beneath the skin, which is how, you know... Snakes deliver venom. They bite you. Put they can, put they can probably get it into a vein. They could, but typically it's through the flesh. So then uh, that would be 3.0 milligrams per kilogram. So how many more times is horned viper venom toxicity than toxicity of caffeine? That sentence doesn't make is It's so grammatically wrong. But I don't know how to. How many more times deadlier? <laughs> how do you say this without sounding like a dunce? So you're looking for how many, how more, how many more times <laughs> the lethality of venom is compared to caffeine? How many more? So, much? Yes, the this venom is very more lethal than caffeine. So we want to know how many very much more. <laughs> so here's a hint. Toxicity can vary widely from person to person, depending on many factors. The number we're working with involves oral testing on albino lab rats. And in humans, the lethal dose can be lower or higher, depending on health conditions, sensitivities to like caffeine or other factors. So don't take this and be like, well, I can have that much caffeine. People have died from much, much less caffeine. All right. I'm going to say it is 1,000 times more lethal than caffeine, which means that I think that the answer, I think if I understand this procedure correctly, is 0.0003 milligrams per kilogram for caffeine. Well, I guess you asked me how many times. The answer is 1,000. I don't have yeah. to do the math. 1,000 times. Oh, wait. No, uh, the number would be bigger, right? I think it takes 1,000 times. I, yeah. I think that the that caffeine is 1,000 times less lethal than horned viper ven- venom, which means it would take 1,000 times more caffeine to kill yes. 50% of your lab rats. Correct. So when you're talking about LD50, the lower number is the more dangerous number. So the good thing about this question was that it would be really difficult for you to do mathematics 
But the bad thing is you're incredibly, incredibly wrong. (laughs) The viper venom is about 122 times more deadly than caffeine. Oh, my goodness. Caffeine is really bad for you. (laughs) The LD50 of caffeine is 367 milligrams per kilogram. So it it could be as low as 500 milligrams in humans on average. And uh, there have been like less than 100 milligram deaths of caffeine in humans. Yeah, that's that's surprising. I didn't think that the gap would be that close. There's other factors. So like if you drink, uh, I tried to do the lethal dose of um, Mountain Dew Baja Blast. But there's too many variables like you could die of sugar intake or caffeine intake, you know, or you could die of the Taco Bell that you had. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's probably going to be the number one. Everyone knows it's impossible to eat or drink Baja Blast without also having consumed some Taco Bell, some Taco Bell, yeah. they, because that's the only place to get it, I think. Right. I pretty, don't know. Pretty sure you can't the, get Baja Blast outside of Taco Bell. I have no idea. But uh, that's all I got for that. You have any f- quick facts, little facts, I facts? Fa- fast, speedy facts. Okay. Here are the fast facts. So the horned viper, the Saharan horned viper, eats uh, lizards, small mammals, and birds. Basically, whatever it can get. It's. I almost said hands, but that would just <laughs> be so wrong. Um, it's this. You know, he was cursed to to walk on his belly. Um, That's in my uh, intro. Oh, is it? <laughs> nice. I mean, I guess not nice because it's the fall. But uh, basically whatever it can sink its teeth into in the desert because food is scarce. Uh, he's an ambush predator and blends in with the sand at night to snap up unsuspecting prey. Um, but during the day, since it's a billion degrees outside, quote me on that, uh, he hangs out in burrows or under rocks. Because, you know, they he's uh, ectothermic, meaning that his body temperature is regulated by the his, the atmosphere outside. So if it's really hot outside, his body temperature is going to be really hot and vice versa when it's really cold. So he has to stay in places that are nominal. Um, but food isn't nominal? the only thing you need. Yeah, nominal. That's like... In uh, name only? Hmm. Very small, far below the real value i guess oh. i always thought of it as like a like levels like i guess in movies it's like oh the the uh you know the seismograph says that the levels are nominal or something like that oh so it's like a second definition or there's two definitions yeah but it looks like it mostly re- refers to money so maybe i'm wrong here money yeah uh, okay whatever <laughs> uh that are but doesn't it doesn't it also mean in name only yeah it does that's the first different de- de- uh, definition okay. because you know nom we want to replace nom that word plume. with with it with a, a nice uh temperate there we go yeah it makes sense if optimal is the middle there should be an imul that means low optimal is not the middle optimal is the best or the ideal nominal yeah. would be steady I don't know, temperate climate or temperate temperature. Anyway, (laughs) uh, food is not the only thing that is required 
and is also scarce in the desert. Water is the second thing required and is possibly even more scarce. Um, and the way that the horned viper gets water in the desert is actually pretty interesting. It gets water through the dew that condenses on its scales. So since its scales kind of stick out, not just the ones over its eyes, but all over its body, uh, these surfaces create are, are good places for water to condensate in the morning, which is dew when you go outside in the morning and there's water everywhere, even though it didn't rain. Um, so the, uh, the snake can hydrate using this dew. So that's one be- very, very helpful benefit of having uh, such odd scales for a snake. They can also use these scales to produce a raspy warning sound uh, by rubbing them together, which kind of is like, kind of does the same thing as a rattlesnake. In the wild, they can live for about 10 to 15 years, and they don't have much to worry about in terms of predators, but predator, but birds uh, and an animal called the sand cat, which is kind of like a desert optimized cat, regular looking house cat. Um, those... Uh, are its main predators as far as the venom goes when we touched on it in measure up getting bit is not fun i mean even if it didn't have venom it wouldn't be fun it injects its victims with 13 different toxins kind of like uh isn't that how many flavors are in dr pepper or is that 31 (laughs) i don't know uh I don't know. It probably doesn't taste as good as Dr. Pepper, and I don't even like Dr. Pepper. But these toxins called cause swelling, pain, excessive bleeding, nausea, sweating, fatigue, kidney failure, and heart irregularities. Some describe the feeling as having their heart squeezed by a hand, which sounds horrifying, and I can't even imagine it. That just that's that's not good. That's how they describe having a heart attack sometimes. Really? Yeah. That feel like that's gotta feel so weird and painful and bad, but it's not super lethal uh, to humans getting bit at least you know once. Um, obviously, like if you're allergic to it or you're not treated, it can be, but it's not on the level of say like a diamondback rattlesnake or a cobra. Um, and lastly, in Shakespeare's play *Antony and Cleopatra*. The titular heroine uses a horned viper to kill herself at the end. Basic, uh, this Romeo and Juliet-esque ending of the play. Maybe she Spoiler was alert for a 500-year-old for play. Sorry, she what? She must have been small. She must have been a late, small lady. Or just Shakespeare didn't do... He looked... He, he, he was like, what kind of snakes live over there? And they're like the horned viper. He's like he. She gets bit by a horned viper. I I read that like in some cases, like the the amount of venom that's delivered can vary. So maybe this particular viper, like, just had a lot stored up. And yeah, just let it all loose. It's very plot considerate. Because that would have been really bad if she just kind of swelled up a little bit and had some heart irregularities. Had a terrible time, yeah. Was, then was totally fine after that. Or maybe she was like, you know, had a congenital heart defect. That's true. That would definitely um, kind of ensure the the toxin's lethality. But that's all I got. 
that's my pop culture reference for the horned viper okay are you ready to hear some major facts yeah i am major facts i mean well there's a couple so without i'm calling this one slippery sidewinders Mm. so without legs snakes have to rely on complex movement to handle different environments Limbs allow many animals to standardize their locomotion. For instance, humans just put one foot in front of the other in one most foot environments. in front of the other. Unless you're climbing a sheer cliff or swimming or something like that. Uh, but snakes need to adapt to several different styles to deal with several different terrains. So there are four types of locomotions, so locomotion that are associated with snakes. And unfortunately, this is very visual in nature. So there's going to be a link to a video that kind of walks, walks, <laughs> shows you each of the four. Wind, winding like. through each of the four. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Methods. Uh, but until then, just picture in your mind's eye, close your eyes, unless you're driving, and picture what I'm saying. So. The first and most common is serpentine, and that's the typical snake style. Uh, This is when the snake moves back and forth in uh, an S shape, and this method involves pushing off a solid object and, and then pushing off bends in the body. So if they're near a rock or a tree stump, they'll push off and just kinda go forward, but if not, then they'll make a bend to, to make a contact point with the ground, a stable point, and then just kind of like uh, push off that so that because they the need to bend the body to form an anchor point, it gives this mes- method that signature S shape. So then the second one is concertina. This involves two anchor points, one on the front of their body and one on the back. Uh, they reach by anchoring the back of their body and then uh, then anchor the front of their body to pull the rest up. Like an so, inchworm? Yeah. So like it's a, an inchworm. It's, a, it's also called accordion movement. I've never it, seen it, a snake move like this. Uh, and it, but it's not like, it's not up. The, the curves don't go up like an inchworm. It's side to side. Oh, I see. So Still. it's like a sideways inchworm. Or like an accordion. Okay. Uh, and then there's rectilinear. This is the most, like, I, maybe the most complex because it just it looks like they're gliding along the ground. But it involves movement of the, the snake's l- belly skin. So there's special groups of muscles that bunch up the belly skin forward and then push push along it. Is it the scales, like the dig in or something? Kind of, yeah. So, like, it's it's kind of like, let's say that you could, like, take your arm and muscles would push the skin of your arm forward to the front of your arm, and then you could just glide your body along that skin to go forward. Delicious. I love and this the, visual. And this, this is happening along many, many points on the snake's belly. And then simultaneously, their back skin is remaining stationary. So it's almost like the like a like a, a centipede. It looks like where like there's like this. 
It just looks like their their legs are doing the wave. It's the same thing with like just skin. It's called rectilinear. Rectilinear. Like, um, like butt line. <laughs> I guess. Or underline. Um, so this movement allows snakes to move when there isn't enough room to articulate their body, like on a narrow ledge. That makes sense. So, Can yeah. mo- most snakes do this? I don't know. I think so. Like what? Or else, how would they, they would be stuck on a ledge, or they would just fall off? Uh, and then the fourth is sidewinding. Sidewinding might be the most complex movement, and it serves two major functions. Side uh, it involves several points of contact with the ground and lateral movement instead of forward movement. S- hence, sidewinding. Desert sidewinders might create a track in the sand where they move forward and then lift their body up and and sideways to create a new track hmm. that's parallel to the old one like a like like a staircase on the ground if that makes sense so it might also involve a scrunched up s shape where the snake's head points to their side and then the three points of contact walk them walk them sideways it's kind of like moonwalking for snakes <laughs> kind of. They're looking in one direction and going in the other direction. No, they're going in the direction they're looking, but they're not looking forward with their body. They're looking sideways to their body. So you take an it's like an S shape, but it's scrunched up, and their move their head is looking to their side. In any case, if you were to straighten out the snake, they would be going sideways from it. I'm actually looking at a gif of this, and he's looking. Let's say he's looking north, but his whole body is moving east. Or he's looking northeast, and his whole body is yeah, moving directly the, east. So the, the, the thing is, there seems to be two different types of sidewinding, where one is what you're talking about, and the other one is like it, their head is looking the same direction they're moving. Okay, I see this other one where they kind of look like this coil that's just rolling across the desert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and their that's... head is kind of curved in the direction that they're moving. Yes. That one looks crazy. Well, it curves back and forth, but they they move their head forward and then back, and then move their head forward and then back. That seems just like so much work. Well, here's the reasons that it's useful. So the desert horn viper is the most common sidewinder, but this method is used by several different snakes from completely different parts of the world, especially in sandy deserts. But other snakes like members of the family... Homolopsony. I've never seen a P and an S in the middle of the word together in a in like, nomenclature. What about synopsis? There. Well, that's not nomenclature, is it? No, it's uh, not, I guess. Uh, this is a snake from Asia, and it uses this method of locomotion while traveling in mud flats. So it's it's muddy ground. So the common denominator seems to be unstable ground. So other methods sense. of snake movement might cause. Uh, the practitioner to be stuck in place with shifting sand or slide down unstable slopes, right? So imagine you're using one of these other methods where it's you're trying to, you know, slide your body along like these anchor points, but you can't because the, the sand is just shifting beneath you. There are no anchor points. <laughs> right. There's no way to slide forward because the ground itself, you're just pushing it back, right? Um, So instead of sliding along shifting ground, 
their points of contact are static and the forward momentum comes from lifting their body to a new point of contact instead of sliding to a new mm-hmm. point of contact. So what you got to do when all other ground is sinking sand. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, as the hymn goes. Uh, this, this is also important for another reason in these arid desert climates. So because sidewinding is sort of like walking where the body is lifted up to a stable point of contact, more of their belly is lifted away from the ground than it would be with other locomotion methods. So this can allow them to make less contact with really hot sand, mitigating their likelihood of overheating or burning themselves. That makes sense. Pretty much every other form has them of motion has them like continually in most of their body in continuous contact with the sand. Right. So it's actually more anchor points, like three besides like rectilinear. Uh, It has the most anchor points, usually three anchor points at least, but the rest of their body is lifted. Whereas like serpentine, you have one major anchor point concertina, you have two anchor points, but your the rest of your body is just sliding along the ground. Yeah, so it's the difference between like shuffling across hot sand or kind of like tiptoeing across hot sand. <laughs> right. Picking up your foot, giving it and then humans and anything else that walks on feet your your belly isn't touching the hot sand. Right. So that's good. <laughs> that's always good. That's one of my favorite parts about being human. <laughs> Yeah. My belly doesn't t- have to touch hot sand if I don't want it to. That's true. Yeah, that, I mean, although it does no, sometimes. It's true. That's also true. You roll over off the blanket. It's a bad time. Yeah, and I'm then I'm like I'm so happy I'm not a snake, and then I roll back over on my blanket. <laughs> but that's all I got. All right, awesome. It's the horned viper, the second viper we've done. That's true. So go back and listen to our pit viper episode if you want to hear about our other. Viper, because uh, it's cool. It has a uh, heat vision. Just all talking about heat and temperature when it comes to vipers. So for you out there in podcastia, drink from your scales, stay anchored, and sidewind your way to happiness like the horned viper here in life, death, and taxonomy. Hey LDT listeners, thanks for listening to the end of the episode. For your loyalty, you get a shameless self-promotion from us. If you haven't already, leaving a review on your favorite podcast app can really help us grow. But telling your podcast-loving friends about us is even better. Also, don't forget to send in your measure-up intros and animal suggestions to ldtaxonomy at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. As always, thanks most of all for listening. My favorite in the world podcast. (laughs) So for you out there in podcastia, drink from your scales, stay angered, and sidewind your... (laughs) I can't say this.